Hello. Uh, now, normally at this point you'd be listening to some music from the game we're about to talk about, but unfortunately there's been a technical hitch. Windows 10 in its infinite wisdom decided to crank up the volume of my microphone to 100, resulting in massive distortions. I spent the last four or five hours trying to fix it, but as any audio expert would know, you can't fix distortions. It's not physically possible. So, unfortunately, this is barely listenable. I did everything I can to fix it, but uh, listen on with caution. I would be surprised if you skip this and the next episode. Really, really sorry, but uh, do listen if you can bear with it. episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spongle.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they're ready to start making games, what your visitors are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, so mostly focus on the developer themselves, and the second half will discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Mike Dies by Sidra Games. Alex, hey. who, are, who are you and what do you do? Huh. So uh, my name is Alex Gold. I am the creative director, lead designer, writer, project director of Sidra Games, the developer of Mike Dice. So all of the things. Pretty much all the things. You do all well, the things. Most of the things. Most of the things, yes. Um, so you and I met at, um, not at PAX, but an event that was happening at the same time as, as PAX West, which, which has been going for a few years now, isn't it? Um, but they held it in this little hotel, not little, it was in a hotel in a lobby, and uh, I was, I was marvelled at, at this incredible game. But before we delve into that, everyone, uh, the regular listeners will know, we've got some other questions to deal with. To get to be able to get to know Alex a bit before we get into Mike dies. Um, by the way, we're not we're talking about the name Mike, not you know as in microphones because then we cut off. So there's the little joke there. Um, how did you make us start making video games, Alex? <clears throat> so I actually started in QA about oh geez like eleven years ago. I, I worked at a big publisher QA and transitioned into developer QA. Uh, at uh, Harmonix Music Systems, the rock band developers. From there, I met a bunch right. of people. Yeah, I met a bunch of people who uh, I really connected with, and we all just decided to form our own game studio together, and I've been designing games for the last seven years or so. So what's your first game? What was the first one you made, you think? And I mean, really the first. If you can think <laughs> that sure. far back. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, well, the first indie game I released was a game called Dark Scavenger. That came out about five years ago. Very strange point-to-click adventure. But the first game I ever worked on was called Scarface, The World is Yours. It was for PlayStation 2. It was, uh, it was wow. a good game. Yeah, that's when they started releasing very strange games for very interesting films, like The Warriors. That was a film that made a game out of that. Like, Love that you, game. What are you doing? I know, it's great, but like, what do what, what you... What's next? Where's our dogs? What are you doing? And then went they started delving into these old nineteen seventies films and like yeah, or, uh, or early eighties films and like uh, yes, we could game out of this. No, but you know some they were very successful. And uh, but so what about you personally? Do you what's your earliest memories of making video games? Do you remember any, or, or attempting to? I mean, do you, did you, did you get into that sort of place? Did you make any games as a kid? Yeah, um, most of them were really gritty pen and paper kind of things. I think I started when I was about five or six, but I used programs like Click and Play and the Games Factory, Rise of the Triad Level Editor. I I basically did anything I could just to be making games, and sure enough, now I'm doing it professionally. Wow. Rise of the Triad. That was a weird game. That's a blast from the past, right? Do you think we could look up, in inverted commas, (laughs) 
<laughs> basically <laughs> twisted the thing like, oh, you can look up. No, no, you can't. You're just morphing the screen here. But okay, but yeah, that was a very strange game. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's quite a, a, a sort of storied history there of going through the PlayStation 2, which, you know, I remember when people mentioned the PlayStation 2, I remember I was there when they released it at E3 18 years ago. I was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was there. People go, That's a retro machine now. Please stop saying that. <laughs> I was there at E3. I was there when they released the PS2. And the 3. No, no, I stopped going E3 by then. Because um, I hate E3. Um, but um, so when you were working at harmonics and stuff, I mean, what kind of. Uh, uh, they did. They, obviously, they're still doing the. Um, rhythm um, games or music-based games. I mean, the latest one is that uh, um, deck game, isn't it, where you've got cards and you have a, a Bluetooth thing you link up to it and you can do like a mix and stuff. I haven't used it, I haven't played it myself, but it looks incredible. Um, oh, what drop did, beat, yeah. Yeah, yeah, drop beat, that's it, yeah. Um, what um, what kind of things were you doing there before you moved on to indie development then? So I started uh, at Harmonix. I started uh, off by doing QA stuff. I worked on Rock Band 2 and Rock Band Beatles, primarily on the online and like menu system. But eventually I trans start, began to uh, transition into more design-related activities. Uh, in Dance Central, I actually helped uh, design the way that the UI uh, works, is like how the flashcards on the side of the screen reads. Um, I did a lot of game balancing, and I also did some song difficulty tier uh, balancing in Rock Band 3 as well. Hmm. How do you didn't mean now you see where that's gone and how I mean it's quite extraordinary that ten years ago the video game scene was so different to where it is now. You know, ten years ago the you know the, the rock band stuff had barely just started, and then it, it took over everywhere, and then gone. Just yeah, just like yeah, we're done with this. What? No more plastic instruments. No, we're done. And this is like the Wii. Ten years ago, you couldn't buy a Wii. You just couldn't. You try to try to find one. Now you can buy them for ten bucks. <laughs> yeah. like, what? What? And so anyone investing in that in the video game industry is, you know, is is doomed. And yet they still, I say, anyone not doomed, but uh, it's it's a precarious situation. Did you looking from the inside out almost? Did you see this coming? I mean, of course you didn't. You'd be a very rich man. But <laughs> did you see the? Did you see the inklings like this is not going to last? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of different, you know, types of games come and go and exist in a bubble. I mean, we've had our music game bubble. Uh, we had our, our free-to-play bubble, which, you know, still, you know, both of those things still exist to a, to a degree. I mean, some a bigger degree than others or the motion game bubble. But, but yeah, all of these things that are like big kind of gaming fads, like usually emerge and then just become huge for a while and then die down. So I, I think getting into it, we all knew that, you know, it was going to go on for quite some time. But ultimately, you know, all things have to end and, and the consumer interest changes. So. Yeah, I'd say it was expected eventually. I find the current situation with them. Um, well, look at MOBAs. Uh, they raised, they, 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 they were 10 a penny, wasn't it? They're, they're everywhere. And then all of a sudden, actually, like, actually, no, we're just going to play League or Dota. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, is that okay with you? Not really, but okay. Because <laughs> that's basically what happened. And uh, now it's happening with the uh, Battle Royale games. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, don't, um, PUBG does its thing, and then all of a sudden, oh, we can do that too. Like, no, no, you can't. Never mind. <laughs> Missing the point. But I find it fascinating how we've got these trends coming and going. But, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see. So so going into indie section or the indie sort of realm, that must have given you phenomenal creative freedom. Yeah, uh, one of the big reasons that we, you know, me and my team have really pushed to, to exist in this realm is because as stated, we, we can just kind of make the games we want. And ideally, if we can find our audience, <laughs> sell the games we want. We, um, you know, at, at Harmonix, in fact, a lot of us uh, began working on who were working at Rock Band, started working on my first game, Dark Scavenger, just because we love Rock Band to death. But at the same time, we wanted a new type of challenge. So that's what the indie game scene really, really brings to developers. And to make a point-and-click game, which, again, a fair few years, well, 10 years ago, maybe, there was like, no one does those anymore. Yeah. That's not true. Uh, but, you know, we all know why they died out, because the, the, the puzzles became so ridiculous that you couldn't understand them. 
and they became written for the people who wrote them, which is a terrible fate for any medium to face. So they deserved it, quite frankly. You may disagree, but uh, I think they deserved their, 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 you know, their, their fate. But, you oh. know, yeah. Do you I agree? Mean, oh, I, I 100% agree, actually. In fact, you know, one of the one of the funny things is I, I actually don't like point-and-click adventure games that much. And so when I set out to make Dark Scavenger, I thought to myself, I, I want to improve this genre and I want to innovate in this genre. And, and we did uh, to a degree. And for Mike Dyes, in fact, I, I actually don't like puzzle platformers at all. It's, it's one of my... There are huge exceptions, but it's one of my overall least favorite genres. So I said, I want to make a game of this genre, but I want to fix all the issues present in this genre. I don't want slow-paced uh, problem-solving. I want it to be fast-paced and, and rapid and, and constantly interesting and surprising. Yeah, and we're going to get on to that. I mean, there's one thing. No, I'm going to say it now. Screw it. I want to <laughs> say it now because I want to praise this claim because you figured it out. Which I can't believe other developers don't understand. I'm not sure why this is. Maybe you can tell me. I've often asked this of them. Why, why do developers insist on having so, so much momentum on the player character you're controlling? What I'm talking about is when you land on a platform, why do you keep moving? What is that? Yeah. So, <laughs> one, yeah, well, one of the first things that you got to do, like when developing any sort of platforming game or any game in general, is just kind of perfecting game feel and making sure that it's, you know, it feels good to move around the game world before you even start implementing level design. And I think a lot of developers, especially new developers, uh, don't really grasp what that means precisely. Like sometimes your character is going to feel floaty or slidey, as you said. Uh, and with Mike Dies, before we even started making the game, we really made sure that Mike was fun to control before we started implementing any of the obstacles around him. Yeah, well, when he lands, he lands. So, oh, yeah, he's, 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 just, he's set. He's done. He's set. He's done. And it just, I mean, if you look at the little um, big planet, I mean, we know the creative element of that was phenomenal. It was. But the platforming was atrocious because of what I just described. He'd run along, Sackboy would run along, and then hit the platform and keep moving. Why? Doesn't, I, mean, I don't get it. It's just why are you... This is a very experienced and very, you know, extraordinary developer, and they did extraordinary things, but they just failed on that personally. I've spoken to many of Always the criticism against that game is floaty, sliding around. It's as if every platform was covered in grease. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, so one thing on Mike Dies, for example, and that, that I guess kind of separates it from a lot of other titles is design was really emphasized first. Like one, one of the pillars for, for movement was extreme precision. Like the player has a lot of tools at their arsenal to accomplish that aside from having a really flexible amount of momentum when they're pressing the, uh, when they're holding the joystick uh, to a certain degree. But we also made sure, you know, not only do you stop flat on the ground, but the hovering mechanic that's present in Mike dies, which stops you in midair was invented for that exact reason to further your precision while you're aerial and also to ensure that you can land in a more accurate place. Cause a lot of our challenges well challenge uh, precision. Yeah. Although you just devoured one of my design questions. Damn it, Alex. <laughs> ah, we'll, we'll, expand, we'll expand on that a lot more because I want to know how that was invented and developed anyway. But, uh, okay. yeah, it's just – it's um, it's, it's uh, that's why I love the game so much because it is so pure and so simple and so, um, like, well, you've clearly got to do this, this, and this. And it's just – but it's also the fact that don't slide. Why is that so hard? And I've challenged many developers about this. You know, I actually sort of play their game at a demo station. And again, I go, that's great, why is it sliding? Hmm? And they can't even see it. They can't even see it. Like, why is he moving? No, I'll I jump. Look, it keeps on going. Why? Oh, well, it's, uh, and they just don't have a proper answer? Like, okay. I think it's to something they're trying to emulate how someone would jump and that kind of thing. I said, look, I get that, but that's Prince of Persia. I'm not playing Prince of Persia, am I? You know, um, but anyway. And Prince of Persia, I mean, you know, it looks great, but I, I don't think anyone's going to applaud at least the original Prince of Persia's, of course, for their uh, for their accuracy and controls. Uh, they looked great, and part of the reason they developed it that way was to to emulate it visually, but the, at at the expense they sacrificed game control to do it. So yes, half of the game was actually because it was so <laughs> so difficult to make a jump. I mean, every screen was like, oh god, <laughs> and you had a time limit as well, like. <laughs> right, don't do anything. Keep running. Don't run there. Stop. Oh, oh never mind. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
So, and this sort of leads me on to my next question to you then. What are your biggest influences as a creator? Uh, I would have to say, hands down, Treasure. Um, I love Treasure. I, I think they're the greatest developer in the world. And w one of the things that really I, I took to heart from Treasure is in a lot of Treasure games, uh, not all of them, but in a lot of them, you'll have very, very simple actions. Uh, there will be maybe only one or two things that you can do. And throughout the course of the game, you don't really get new things to do. Uh, you're not gaining new abilities. You're simply learning new ways to use the existing abilities that you already have. The environment in which you need to use these abilities is changing, and that keeps it simple and it keeps it compelling. So if you've got a strong central mechanic, uh, that mechanic can carry an entire game. You'll notice in Mike Dies, the game's, you know, three hours for like, a quick playthrough, like seven to eight hours for trying to find everything. And the game feels there's new challenges thrown at you all the time. And we never at any point change the way the character controls. That's really an important foundation for us. It's very good. Yeah. It's, um, it's lovely how, um, you've given this set of tools and said, there you go. It's all you're going to get. Nothing. No. That's it. Surely. Yeah. No, but then there's no pap. No, there's no, <laughs> Go, you know, and it's just anything you do is just got to say, here's this challenge. How do I address this challenge based on what I already know? And by the end of it, you're quite adept. At least I like to think so. Yeah, you um, know, I was at oh, I was at a GDC, and I, I was talking to a developer about this, uh, and they said, how how can you how is this game? I, I don't understand how you made this game so fun with only one or two moves and for so long. And I'm like, this this is how it's supposed to be, yo. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just so strange, and I mean, it's a wonderful be, to be inspired or be influenced by another developer and treasure. That's quite that's quite a pedigree there, because um, they they've made some fantastic games. Uh, Gunstar Heroes is one of theirs, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I got that on the Mega Drive. Um, um, so yeah, that's 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 to be influenced by a um, a great developer of someone who really understands. What it takes to make a good, a great arcade game—that's that's brilliant. That's really good. Just to see what they, you know, because that's what I love when you play those older games. That they are so pure, and somewhere, and of course, unforgiving in many regards. And it does require you to practice and, and play it and get get to understand it because they're not going to tell you anything. Like, no, go on, figure it out. <laughs> you got a controller. You can move left and right. Just go. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Any anything else that you think springs to mind that uh, influences you? Um. Well, for specific games. Oh. Okay. Okay. I, I have to mention, of course. Uh, v v v v v v v. I think I got it. Six v's. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, v v v v v v v. <laughs> I've practiced that. Um. One of my favorite games of all time. And and once again, it, it took this direct approach. I, I'd say your game is most inspired by that title. It's just simple, open world challenging, funny, quirky, uh, unexpected, and surprising. I, I think um, Terry Cavanaugh is one of the most brilliant developers of our time, and I love everything he does, but that game in particular completely, um, I, I think, has influenced me greatly as a designer. Yeah, that and Super Hexagon. Oh, yeah, just, oh, I love Super Hexagon. I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, <laughs> me, me too. I just, I I just it. like, uh, square. <gasps> I got the square here. <laughs> And that 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 track, that music track, like I know I've only heard twenty seconds of it, but it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting in that title that music is actually a primary motivator to do better because the music is so polished, and you only get to hear it when you're succeeding. So part of the yes. reason you get better is so that you can hear more of it. Yeah, in fact, when you hear more of it, you start getting really stressed. Like, oh no, oh no, no, no. Um, I've actually played the C sixty four version. That's great. Oh, really? <laughs> they wow. ported it. They pulled it. Yeah, I know. Um, if you get a chance on emulator, give it a shot. <laughs> I uh, love yeah, it's. Uh, I actually run it. My uh, I actually have a well, I have three C sixty fours, but um, I had. Well, I got my bread bin one, and uh, I ran it on that. And uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, really good. Um, so okay, well, I think you've answered this already, but I'm going to give you a chance to maybe add some more to the list. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? So, outside of Treasure, um, I think, honestly, I really I really admire Supergiant. Um, and it's I, I just admire the fact that every single game they make is, is super inventive, 
super different. And and when when you play a super giant game, you're not playing it because oh yeah, this is Bastion two or Bastion three or or or, um, or Pyre two. You're playing it because it's a super giant game. And for Sidra, uh, the company that I that I that I help run. It's our goal to, to be in that position eventually where we can continue to release inventive, crazy, strange new games and people will recognize the product not by, you know, the game that came before it, but by the company itself. Yeah, it's um, that goal of being like a, a rock band, you know? Oh, yeah, they, 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 they've got that style. That's that super giant style of game because they make a style. It's a very unique style to them. Um, but it is, they've, they've definitely got a, a flavour to their titles, haven't they? I don't know Absolutely. many de- developers who do this. We've had them on the show as well. They came over and chatted to us about about Transistor. It was a great show. Um, tried to get on with Pyre, but uh, it's been, you know, they've been so terribly busy with that one. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we shall persevere. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great sort to, to cite them because they are a developer that's uh, it's not many I think very few developers that have that that uh, ability to be you know um, to, to have that style attached to them I mean maybe you could argue Bethesda and the um, uh, Elder Scrolls games but that's a series of, of games isn't it it's not necessarily a, a signature of theirs hmm interesting but sure. uh, yeah, it's uh, something something to ponder. But yeah, that's a really good good point that you know uh, Supergiant do have a, a style, and a, and a, you know it's, they're a bit like you know Smashing Pumpkins or something like that. They <laughs> they release a series of great albums. Well, not all of them, but you know what I mean. And then you go, oh okay, well, that's that's their thing. That's their sound, and uh, that's why people like them or not. As the case may be. Sorry for anyone who detests Smashing Pumpkins. Um, <laughs> So, um, any other developers before we move on to our final question of the first half? Uh, I, I, I guess I, I have to throw this one out, the, the biggest, most obvious one, but uh, Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo's constantly innovating, constantly inventive, constantly great. You know, it's been such a long time since they've existed, and still everything they pump out is extreme quality and extremely innovative just when you think that they can't take the mario franchise for example in a new direction they completely turn it on its head and they do so by staying on top of current trends and adapting uh their existing ips to meet those trends and i i just think they're incredible it's amazing how the switch has been out for less than a year and yet it's become almost a de facto indie platform development tool right yeah yeah it's just it's a wash it's an absolute wash with games now from for many developers, I've just uh, it's just you know we go back to the advert from a year ago now with the you know, rent a millennial on the rooftop and everyone was laughing, but then yeah then they stopped laughing <laughs> because you, you know, know like yeah there was there was talk a while back that like oh the we use Nintendo's last console they're going out of business but no, no no way like Nintendo's been around forever they know what they're doing and frankly the day that Nintendo goes down the industry is going to be a very very sad place yes yes it is it will be um, it's odd that people wish failure on others it's very strange yeah um, but uh, I never really understood the whole brand loyalty thing I mean you know, when Microsoft took a dive on the Xbox One, because uh, we all know they did, I just, you know, I do, okay, well, just, the PlayStation 4 it is then. And, you know, bat an eyelid, this is the way it, where it happened. Uh, and uh, they, they, they now Microsoft spent the last five years trying to repair the damage they'd done. And I don't think they really, they'll ever recover from that, because it was mm-hmm. hubris. They were on top of the game, at least in North America anyway, and then uh, they, they flushed it down the toilet by being arrogant and talking about TV which no one watches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're right. The industry would be a, a very dark place without Nintendo. And I remember that. Anyway, because <laughs> I'm that old. Um, so, my last question then, uh, in this first half, and it's so legally required to ask it, because this is a podcast about video games, therefore I have to ask this question, which is, sure. what are you playing right now? Right now? Well, um, I, I feel ashamed to say it because I've already played the game like a hundred times, but I just went back into Dark Souls three. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, I, I guess okay. Actually, I do have a reason. One uh, Celeste, I literally just finished that game. Right, the people made Towerfall. Yeah, it is. 
like I I don't usually like massacre games, which is funny because I I just made one, but but like Celeste is like I kind of went into it with this pre pre expected notion that I wasn't really going to dig it too much, but I loved it. It is incredible. Uh, the pacing, the storytelling, the narrative integration with the gameplay mechanics, uh, the amount of unlockables that are just tucked away and constantly reveal themselves. It, it actually is a masterpiece. I will go ahead and say it. Game of the year so far. What I love about it, and I mean love, is how it turns you into... I mean, I'm terrible at platformers. I mean, although I've got a few Mike dies... Uh, because I just love the puzzle aspect. We'll talk about it later. But um, I'm terrible at them. I've always been bad at them. I mean, Jet Set Williams is a very, very old game. Look it up. It's, it's something called the Banyan Tree level. Look it up. Just huh. Jet Set Willy Banyan Tree. Watch it and just go, no way. No way. You, you, that's terrible. It's, it was terribly, terribly designed. It's awful, awful platform uh, game. And uh, well, I don't like it anyway. I'm sure I'll get yelled at by my fellow British people, but... If you look that up, and it's just um, Celeste allows you to be a superhero in platformers. It says, "I know you, you get this. You you do this. You will not throw the controller across the room in anger or or shut off the. No, you won't, because this game is a is beautiful, and b it just teaches you so much about." how to get through it, and you do incredible gymnastics, and you go, "Oh yeah, I just did that." Oh, yeah, for sure. And when you get further in the game and you start conquering these challenge levels, you go back to the earlier levels and there are breeze and you realize that you didn't level up your character in, you know, extrinsically. You leveled up as a player intrinsically. You you have mastered the game to this degree where you are literally better at the game and it's tangible and it feels great. And that's really, really rewarding in and of itself. You don't need an achievement going, blink, you've now pressed the A button. Blink. Oh God! Um, you know, with this, you don't need that. The, the the act of being successful and demonstrating that by actually completing or getting through areas and that sort of thing is reward in of itself. And um, it's it's quite uh, fascinating to see um, how people are sort of drawn to Celeste because of that. It rewards players in um, perseverance. Uh, and sometimes games don't get that right at all, and that's okay. Uh, but um, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, it's not. <laughs> it's. It's. It, I just think people really need to um, credit players with more intelligence than they do, and it's the games like Celeste and indeed Mike Dies that do that. So thank you for yeah, sure. for doing that. So any others before we move on to the second half? Uh, I actually, I, I want to give a shout out to a game called Sundered. Um, Sundered was released a while back. It's like a roguelike Metroidvania title and it didn't get like amazing reviews, but I, I actually couldn't stop playing it. Um, I can appreciate that maybe it's not for everybody, but I loved Jotun, the developer's first game. So I had to pick this one up and I was really pleasantly surprised. It did get a little grindy towards the end and I couldn't finish it. But up until that point, I was loving every moment of it. I did play that quite a few times in various shows. Um, we weren't going to have it on the show, but for some reason it didn't. It kind of never, never panned out. I think because of the marketing issues and uh, lack of sales. But I could have helped with that. But uh, anyway, uh, I liked it too. I liked it a lot. I thought the art style was incredible. The weapons you could get hold of were ridiculous. Um, there was a gun you pulled out that was so big that the recoil of it would throw you across the room. Um, it was really good. And I think the idea of you being thrown into a pit of monsters, which you couldn't defeat until you increased your character's abilities, but at the cost of his own humanity, was incredible. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, it's really, really good. So, yeah, I mean, I also like Jotun as well. That's a fabulous game. Very beautiful. Uh, I love love Jotun. It was great. Yeah, it was really good. Um, uh, Deceptively simple. You know, you think, oh, I've got this. No, you haven't. (laughs) It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a lovely game. But, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll they'll claw back from that. But um, anyway, (laughs) yes, Sundered. Thanks for starting that one. Absolutely. Well, that's the end of the first half. Well done. You made it. Uh, yeah, and uh, but now we're going to second half of the show where we delve deep into Mike Dies.
do it. So, first question isn't a question, it's a request. What is Mike Dies? Please tell us, Alex. What is Mike Dies? Oh, Mike Dies is a... Uh, let me see if I can still do this elevator pitch. <laughs> it's a sci-fi exploration platformer with dynamic, brutal fatalities and a really twisted narrative. Tell me about it. <laughs> the eye! I'm not going to say anything more. He's very angry, that eye. Very angry. I don't know why, well, I do, but anyway. Um, we've got good reason to think about it, but no, she no, he hasn't. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I, I always have trouble describing this game because, like, it's so bizarre in reality, and it's, it really isn't like a whole lot of other games. And I, I'm just terrified of spoiling anything. That's That's kind of why I'm always, like, kind of has a bit with my word choice there but hmm. I appreciate that you got to tell players what it is somehow well indeed um, and hopefully my questions will not reveal any spoilers either oh that's totally cool so um, first technical question then ready brace yourself do it where did the idea of interactive backgrounds come from and uh, that can kill you basically so to, so to explain to the, to the listener what happens is that when Mike goes over certain areas, these areas are glowing white, what is a sort of a static white with a certain pattern. It's a very distinct pattern from everything else. It's a mainly white pattern with some black sort of speckles in it, uh, or grillage of, sort of black sort of speckles. And uh, when Mike goes into it, it changes colour. Uh, and uh, if he's in there for any period of time, and any any part of him, any slight part of him I hasten to add is dangling out the side outside of that sort of background uh, he dies so how did this idea come about <laughs> so I I wish I had a more interesting story but the reality of it is uh, a few years or sorry a few months after I finished Dark Scavenger I was I was really burnt out and I said I'm never making an indie game again uh, and then a few months later uh, one day I was just hanging out by myself and I had this idea of of these, this, this energy that if you're partially in it kills you. And if you're all the way in it, you, you teleport to a new area. And so I hit up my, my buddies, uh, Joe and Kyle, my, our, our co-founders. And, um, and I said, Hey, this would be cool. Let's make a game about this. And they're like, yeah. And then we were suddenly making Mike dies. Um, it hit me pretty randomly. There, there's, there's not anything, <laughs> there's not anything like in real life that really inspired this one in particular. It just seemed like a kind of a novel twist on player positioning, something that I don't think I've ever really seen explored uh, before. And it seemed like there was a lot of depth to that mechanic and a lot of interesting things you could do with it. It's just the act of, I mean, honestly, everyone, it's just a, a background thing. It's just a part of the scenery. Just so happens when you pass through it, bad things happen, potentially. Unless Mike is completely engulfed in it. And then he might get transported somewhere else. Yeah, I typically. guess actually one of the one of, maybe maybe one of the references for the idea was I I don't play a lot of Happy Wheels, but I certainly watch a lot of it, and I I really wanted to to make a game that you could just kill Mike in just hilarious ways. Like I I just wanted to make a game where you could create these dynamic, just like really nasty but hilarious kind of fatalities. And that's kind of how that mechanic ultimately surfaced in some of the other ones you'll see in the game. Your God, yes, and the bloodstains. <laughs> The blood stains, like, wait, I was here earlier? Yeah, yeah, you're back again. Okay. <laughs> so that was quite, quite dark. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed when, when starting the game is that you don't offer any kind of advice to the player as to how to play Mike Dies. You just give text or subtle hints of the, of in, in the like, large sort of text in the level and say it might say something that would, usually one or two words that indicates that maybe they should be doing that or this is what you're faced with like a, a clue was that a conscious decision not to not to to talk to the player that much yeah uh we 100 percent kind of subscribe to kinesthetic learning where we just basically teach the player by forcing them into situations through level design where they have to figure out how to use their controls and we basically repeat certain hazards a certain number of times to ensure that there's not something what's called a in design an orphaned verb which means a an action that the player learns and then doesn't repeat forever so they forget about it later uh we just basically offer level design 
in frequent bursts, that's a little different every time, that ensures that the player is constantly using these basic actions until they've mastered it, and then we've, we turn everything on their head. Um, but it was one of our goals to make sure there was no text. Like, I don't want any sort of, I didn't, I didn't want a prompt that says, press A to jump, press A to hover. I just wanted the players to figure that out 100% on their own. And as a result, and, and you saw at six too, we just put our game up, and I said, go sit down to, to somebody who, who wanted to come play, and without any tutorials, they were masters at the game within within 10 minutes. Yeah, that's true. Again, crediting developers or crediting players of um, some intelligence is not a bad thing. I'm seeing it increasingly. You know, I picked up that controller. I immediately knew that the left thumbstick was to move. Well, yeah, of course it is. It's, <laughs> a, it's above the D-pad. Why wouldn't it be? But, you know, like I said to um, uh, earlier, it's just that, you know, non-gamers don't know that. They don't know that, you know, you pick up control. I don't know what, why they've got two thumbsticks on there. Well, one's for the camera. What cam? What? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. that I, I just find it fascinating how the concept of prior knowledge is becoming more and more reliant on by developers. And I'm not going to explain to you that you need to use mouse look or whatever have you. I'm not going to explain this stuff to you. I'm just going to assume you know because you use a computer, right? Or you use a video, you've used this video game console before, right? The only, the only time when you get really um, big tutorials and that kind of stuff is when the game is just so weird. Typically VR stuff as well, like, okay. Yeah. You know, they, they really do put you through the, the, the mill because it's like, this is weird. So... Yeah. Well, yeah. one of our um, yeah, well, well, the kinesthetic learning approach is something we've been trying to utilize in every game, and by keeping our controls really simple, like Mike dies, it's only a few actions. We're able to actually utilize this, whereas, as you said, like a VR title, you'd have to have a more in-depth tutorial. But our last game, Dark Scavenger, for example, just to give you an idea of how we've been pulling this off, uh, the tutorial is the title screen, and nobody's ever going to know this, uh, but I'm revealing it right now, our dirty little secret, that when you first start the game, there's a box that says "Click to start." And the player does that, and now they know all the controls in the entire game. They know how to interact with literally everything. Literally everything. There you go. That's, yeah, so we're yeah. very sneaky about it. Yeah, but that's quite funny. It's like, oh, we'll see. So when you have glowing bits like this, oh, wait a minute. Yep, you yeah. now know everything you need to in the entire game. And for this reason, like even players who aren't gamers... Uh, have been able to pick up Dark Scavenger and Mike Dice. Now, granted, that doesn't mean they're going to be very good at it. They're very hard games, but they'll at least know how to play. Mm, yeah. So, really being a puzzle platformer, how difficult has it been to design the levels? And also, more to the point, to balance between reasoning and dexterity. For sure. So... I, I've always thought of like Mike Dies is, I mean, I guess in theory it is sort of a puzzle platformer, but it, with that definition, I guess you could evaluate a lot of games as puzzle platformers. Like even Celeste, for example, which is more action-oriented, of course, uh, you still have to look at a situation and grasp the correct sequence of actions that's going to be required to overcome a challenge. And Mike Dies is very much, Mike Dies very much subscribes to that mentality. Uh, you'll basically be faced with a series of obstacles in front of you that are telegraphed very clearly that you can see in advance. And then you just have to figure out like the sequence of moves to, to get past it. And I guess that's kind of where the puzzle element comes in, though puzzle isn't something that the player is actively thinking about. This isn't a puzzle game like where you're shoving crates around and trying to figure out how to progress. It's very much how do I succeed with the actions I have? And for that reason, uh, for designing the levels themselves, uh, I basically – so we have a bunch of different – uh, hazard types in the game, I guess you could say. And we subscribe to the Nintendo philosophy, which, oh, I'm going to get this name wrong. It's like Kishin Tenketsu. I totally botched that. I know I did. But it basically means it's like a four-part sequence where you introduce a mechanic in a safe environment, then you challenge the player with that mechanic, then you twist it, and then finally you give them a little treat at the end uh, utilizing that mechanic. So... You'll notice through when you go through Mike Dies, the game's divided into segments, and in every segment, there's its own kind of unique mechanic that is at play. And we go through that four-act structure with each one of those mechanics, sometimes uh, repeating those mechanics in future levels just to challenge the player with other obstacles. But balancing it was um, 
it was it was tricky. Uh, after designing these levels, I did extensive play testing. I watched where players got stuck. If there's something that the player couldn't figure out, sometimes I'd remove it. Uh, sometimes I'd tweak it because unlike other puzzle platformers, it's not my goal to make players stuck. It's not my goal to make players be like, how do I get past this? I better look at a walkthrough. I want players to just cruise through this game. And that's not to say it's easy. It's just, I want to create a flow state in the player. I don't want to break their momentum with a puzzle that they can't solve. And as far as designing some of the puzzles themselves, uh, some of the mechanics for me as a designer were really easy and straightforward. I'm like, okay, I got these platforms that disappear rhythmically and reappear rhythmically. I know a bunch of ways immediately that I can challenge the player's actions with these. But then we have some other stuff like the clone levels, spoilers later in the game, where you're literally controlling multiple mics at the same time. And I don't think I've actually played a game that utilizes that type of thing in the exact way we do. And where movement is literally on a one-to-one -one ratio as the, um, as the player. And those were by far the hardest levels that I've ever designed in the history of my career. Um, I designed probably close to a hundred of them and I edited them down to like 20 that were actually good. I, I don't think I've ever been challenged that hard as a level designer to accommodate for such a wide variety of player interactions that can possibly happen within a limited space. If just when it got to that part, I almost said, oh, really? Really, Alex? Really? <laughs> I was saying your name a couple of times. I do. When I, when, when I know developers' names, I, like Jeff Minter's games, who are just, you know, they're bonkers. And uh, his latest one, um, Polybius? Yeah. Uh, I'm, it's, sort of, it's a VR game, and things are coming at you. I'm going, Jeff, I can't see anything. <laughs> I can't. Jeff, to come on. So, yeah, when some of the harder bits of Mike dies, I was cursing your name, sorry. Well, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't spoil this for any of your listeners, of your listeners, but um, but actually, really fast, out of curiosity, did you you beat the game, right? Did did you you fought the final boss? Yes. Okay. Well, I won't I won't spoil it, but I will say this: um, the clone mechanic that I mentioned earlier on, we repeat that at one pivotal moment at a part very far into the game, and a lot of people when this game releases uh, next week are gonna know what I'm talking about, and. I thought it was too funny to remove. Like, play, players had mixed reactions. Like, some players loved it, some players hated it. But I actually, during playtesting, I got hit. Like, when that happens, it's just telegraphed to the player, and the player's just like, oh, no, please tell me they're not going to do this. <laughs> and then we do. And player playtesters, my close friends, obviously, or some of them, uh, actually hit me in the arm during that sequence. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, I have to keep this in the game now. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's up there with. Um, I'm gonna say it. It's up there. It's the same kind of emotion I felt was when there's a relevance to this. You know, in Portal, when you're playing co-op, and there's one level where you have to jump at each other. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me a lot of that. That kind of emotion, because I was playing with a very good friend of mine, and uh, we sort of looked at each other, looking at the level. Okay, we got, and then, and there sort of was a pause because most of the time we would play competitive games against one another. You see, and it would be like, I don't trust you. What? Look, you're just gonna fly off, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. No, sorry, Matt. No. <laughs> it, it went on for a good five minutes of arguing with him because I didn't trust him. And I got the same kind of, like, hilarity and sort of... It was just that same sort of... I felt as if you would reach out through the screen and go, Gotcha! <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, really good. We, we, had a, we had a philosophy when developing the game. So, so my philosophy of all the level design, because a lot of Massacre Horror games will, like, trap the player, like you'll step on something, something will randomly kill you, but I didn't want to do that for this game. There is one section where I intentionally do that, but it's still telegraphed. Uh, but that being said, my philosophy ha has always been dance with the player. Don't step on their feet while you're dancing. Uh, I telegraph things appropriately, and I make sure that when the player dies, with the exception of one section, uh, that it definitely feels like their fault. But for that last section that I was just mentioning, I, I was so tempted to remove that, but... It was just too funny. I, I had I had to let it stay in the game. It's too yeah, funny. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was a comedic moment, to say the least. So, last question, and I know all good things must come to an end. But um, we're going to delve a little bit more about this jetpack of yours because I think it plays a massive role in Mike dies. I use that thing 
the amount of times they've got me out of trouble. Ridiculous. Um, was it always there? Uh, or was it added to to bring some additional challenge or um, control fidelity to the game? I think you've answered this already, but just expand on that a little bit more. For sure. So when we were first developing Mike Dies, uh, we started off with just a prototype of like just a stick man jumping. And we knew that we wanted to, to make a platforming game, but we wanted to do something really different with the controls. Um, we were trying to figure out, like we went through a bunch of different options. Like we, we took the standard double jump, uh, the wall jump, you know, all sorts of things that like ducking, like all sorts of things that are typically done in platformers. But I didn't want it to feel like other platformers. So I, I vetoed all of those ideas. I said, I want something to fit this game that is unique to this game. And more importantly, I need something that makes sense with this portal energy, this 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 stuff that we're using all over the game. I need an action that complements this. And that's how we landed on the hover, which is an ability that literally freezes you in midair for a moment. Um, because there are times when you want to get in between two strips of portal energy before it kills you. So you're gonna need to freeze in midair or maybe you have to jump into a, a massive portal energy that exists and just freeze in that one spot. Uh, so this mechanic really was organic, and it came about naturally as an extension of the mechanics we'd already developed. Yeah, it feels like that. It feels like, uh, oh, how do you, how do you make, make just a little bit more texture, just a little bit more, just to make it more uh, entertaining and interactive with the environment that the player is um, experiencing and jumping through? Oh, I know. Let's just put a jetpack on him. <laughs> but, you know, and this is not, not a regular jetpack where you fly around. I mean, that would be ridiculous. It's just simply a bit where you hover for a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's... Um, we, we got some criticism at one point during the game that it's like, well, why can't you... It's a jetpack. Why can't you fly all over the place? Uh, but, but obviously, uh, towards the very end of the game, once again, no spoilers, uh, we do reveal that uh, maybe that jetpack is... Uh, uh, capable of more than we initially let on. Yeah. Again, I'm just <laughs> hinting at... Uh, I'm just... Uh, it's really difficult to write these questions without making a complete hash of the experience. So right. I'm just hinting... Uh, yeah. So, you know, when, when you probably you argue, oh, Chris, you only, you only played the first bit. No, I'm only talking about the first bit because <laughs> that's, that's only fair. So, you know, me talking about hovering a jetpack and, uh, in, and the listener's going to go, wait, oh, that's all it does? Sailing. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's so much of this game. Even when we, even when we showed it at Indy Six, like it was brutal because we had to leave out some of the the very best surprises of the game. Because, you know, like at Indy Six, for example, we showed a bunch of the platforming sections, and we showed a little bit of a kind of a sequence, a more intense sequence involving one of the characters. But there's a lot of things we left out of the game uh, at the Indy Six demo that I, I can't wait for players to discover because this game, as you know, gets really bizarre and it's yeah. really fun when it breaks down. It doesn't. I mean, it starts off with who's Mike? Why is he dreaming? Oh wait, he's not. Oh, oh damn. Who's this? What's that? Who's that? You know, it's just, it's just yeah, lots of questions asked and most of them unanswered actually, which is great. So, well, there it is. We were at the end, Alex. Uh, it's uh, Mike Dice is out. When is it? Uh, February twenty third. I think that's next Friday. Right. So this show will be coming out on the game's release. So there you go. Go out and get it now. Um, awesome. I know, isn't that awesome? What, what timing is that? Uh, yeah. Go, 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 get it and now on Steam for. For, for pennies and, and monies and, and dollars and things. It's uh, Windows PC, isn't it? Yeah, it's PC for now. Uh, we are evaluating uh, Mac ports and, and some other ports to other platforms in the future too, but for now, we're just launching on PC. Yes, it would. I mean, there's all sorts of platforms you could throw this at, and it would, uh, it would um, do very well, I think, and deservedly so, because I think that... <sighs> The action, the interaction with the backgrounds, that's what really drew me to the game and how rewarding it felt when you got through Mike, um, you got through the, the, the chap with his jetpacks, um, uh, through uh, yet another level. I mean, some of them are just really insane. And, and it's just, and what's really wonderful is that it, it doesn't take a great deal of effort or intellect to figure out what you need to do. It's just being able to do it. <laughs> That's the challenge. He's like, oh, I don't know what to do here. I'm an idiot, though. <laughs> yeah. About that. Oh, look, yeah, Mike dies again. Number 73. 
So, yeah, I don't know what I'm going on about the 70s. Something happened. Yeah, we'll talk about it after the show. Um, <laughs> once I hit that, it was a point. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so, <laughs> I was so sad. Like, I don't want to get to about 50, but no, it got to, it got to the 70s, unfortunately. Um, oh. Yeah, Alex, thank you so, so much for, for being a great guest. And you're more yeah, than welcome absolutely. to come. I hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Yeah, it was great. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, and um, you're welcome to come back on to talk about your next endeavor, whatever that may be. <laughs> Would be happy to. It's in development now, but I can't say anything yet. Of course not. <laughs> and so ends another episode of The Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up The Sausage Factory, and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stable mate podcast we say of spong.com bye